This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today the topic is the subject of building bridges between nations. If you happen to see the promotion for the program, we talk about the world becoming a smaller place and indeed... The world continues to become a smaller place, if only through new communication mediums. But there are organizations and there are individuals who have dedicated much of their lives to helping different nations understand each other better. And if that's through communication, if it's through diplomatic relations, uh, we do have a better understanding of other cultures when we are actively sharing uh, information. And so I'm very pleased to have as my guest Ambassador Shapiro, uh, Charles Shapiro, who is president of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta, is with us. And um, welcome to the program, Ambassador Shapiro. Thanks, Ron. It's a pleasure being here. And uh, good morning to all Business Hour listeners. do you let's start off by asking you if you ag- uh, agree with that basic premise that the world is becoming a smaller place that we we are and and it, it, it in my opinion it, it it's almost uh we've almost made a quantum leap uh, because of the internet but you may have a different take uh, because if i'm not mistaken you've seen both sides where uh, it seems like the world is becoming more communicative and a and a smaller place but i think you've also experienced that uh uh, into the spectrum where uh, there's a um, a certain uh, n- narrow-minded uh, lack of exposure on the part of some cultures, just because of of of, of who's in power in that nation. Um, and, uh, and 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 during the course of the program, you can probably share with us a little bit about uh, what what both sides of that spectrum are like. Um, but but. Do you think the world's becoming a smaller place? Oh, absolutely. I mean, in, I mean, the internet that I'm talking to you now, that we're doing radio that's on the internet, that people anywhere in the world can not just listen to now, but download later if they, you know, happen to be asleep now because on the other side of the world, um, that anybody anywhere can use their smartphone and go online and find out what's going on anywhere in the world is just extraordinary. That doesn't mean that people necessarily like each other better. It means it's easier to it's easier to travel, it's easier to fly around the world, it's easier to communicate with each other. It certainly, is a heck of a lot easier to send a text message than when when you and I were young and uh, you send a letter and put it in the mail. And you know, if you're outside the United States, you know, it might be a while before you heard the answer to that letter. Certainly, uh, the instantaneous nature uh, of uh, digital communications uh, has has played a role uh, in uh, educating uh, people in foreign countries and actually inciting, in many cases, uh, uh, groups to uh, support or oppose uh, issues in those countries and uh, maybe has, uh, you know, the... the Conditions in the Middle East, um, conditions in China, where groups of people have assembled, uh, that certainly is facilitated by uh, digital communications more so than ever. Uh, And in that sense, I think that uh, digital communications is a plus for democracy. Uh, Well, well, I like to think that. Um, 
certainly, I think, helps us, the United States. I'm going to speak as an American because that's what I am, and I'm a retired U.S. diplomat and represent the United States around the world. But it certainly uh, gives people access to the United States without traveling the United States. And in many ways, what I, I'm going to show, talk a little bit about how it cuts both ways is that it makes wherever you travel around the world, you will see young people who dress like young people from your hometown, right? That's right, more so than ever. Or wearing the same, you know, and whose aspiration is to be part of that generational culture, which is separate than our old guy generational culture, and and who who want to be part of that. Um, And and that's just amazing. The, the the flip side of that is that it is a lot easier to, to 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 feel resentful, I think, because you see how people live, who live well. Um, you see the TV shows that make it look like everybody's rich, right? Um, and I think it's easy to go, well, heck, if all these people are are, are wealthy and empowered, why aren't I? Well, it um, reminds me of a. a it, it was a. Um, I, I, an actual uh, interaction uh, with uh, someone coming to the U.S. from uh, somewhere in South America, and, the, and, the, and that individual uh, was asked, uh, do you know anything about American culture? And the person said, no, absolutely. I I know American culture very well uh, because I watch Dallas. Yeah, exactly. And uh, fortunate. The flip side is true, too. I mean, our stereotypes of India and China and Latin America um, get enhanced by popular culture. And obviously, the closer you get to some place, the more you see it, the more you realize how different India and China and Latin America are from our stereotype of what India, China, and Latin America are. Yeah, and hopefully this thing about... uh, uh, the world becoming a smaller place it doesn't mean that uh, everybody's culture is becoming diluted it it does mean to some extent that there will be some dilution uh those young people it we evolve. talked about cultures evolve and cultures evolve with information and access our culture is evolving everybody else's is too right and but but w- what i was going to say along with that dilution uh comes a uh a better understanding of those elements of another culture that remain intact, that are I- integral to those other cultures, and that will hopefully stand the test of time for for a long time, even as we become that this smaller world where, uh, on numerous occasions, and it only used to be in Europe where you'd look out and you see a group of small kids and they look like American kids in the way that they're mm-hmm. dressed, you know, the colors of Benetton, and now you can see that in Peru and uh, China, uh, you know, uh, in large measure because they're oftentimes making those very clothes, yeah. so they have access. Uh, but the, it, it, and it certainly goes beyond uh, fashion and appearance. Um, let's back up now and talk about, uh, and, and we're going to get to uh, your background as an ambassador and in foreign service, but currently you're president of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta, which works uh, in close partnership with the J. Mack Robinson College of Business at Georgia State University. Tell us a little bit about uh, what the World Affairs Council uh, nationally does and a little bit about uh, the World Affairs Council of Atlanta 
and uh, a little bit about your relationship um, with the J. Mac Robinson uh, College of Business at Georgia State University. Okay, let, let me start by saying I've been there six months, so I, there's there's stuff I'm still figuring out, don't know yet, and hope to learn. Okay, we won't quote you. Okay, um, whoops. <laughs> but having said that, there's World Affairs Council of America is the umbrella organization. There must be 50 or 60 World Affairs Councils around the United States. I don't think there are any outside the U.S. They vary tremendously in what, both in size, uh, in focus, um, in, in who their audiences are. So ours is unique, I think, in that we are actually located in... Um, the School of Business at Georgia State University, and our focus is much more business-oriented than a lot of World Affairs councils are. Um, our relationship with the with the um, with Georgia State University is that they, they, for all intents and purposes, we're autonomous, but they own the franchise. So, uh, and we work for them, and we're part of the university, but autonomous from the university. University gives us office space, gives us IT and HR support. So that's great, and really do appreciate that. Do, do you know which came first, uh, in this case, the chicken or the egg, was uh, the J. Mack Robinson uh, College of Business uh, more international business-related uh, and the World Affairs Council came later? Did the World Affairs Council come sooner and they sort of influence the international uh, uh, emphasis? At I, I, I cast a little bit differently. Is that the, the then dean of the, the Robinson College of Business um, – <clears throat> was looking to make the, the university and the business school more more international at the same time that some people in another organization in Atlanta were leaving that organization and wanted to form a World Affairs Council. And so uh, uh, Dean Fenton Husk actually offered to host them at uh, the Robinson College of Business. And so that's, I mean, it was a, it was a great marriage and worked real well, and I'm grateful they did it because... I'm here now and, and, and get to take advantage of, of what these folks have done over the past four years of building a really strong organization here in Atlanta. Well, and it's it's absolutely a, a plus for uh, Georgia State University and for the J. Mac Robinson uh, College of Business because this is a city with a lot of international businesses. And uh, w- whether you come to Atlanta from another state or you grow up in the state of Georgia, uh, or in the metro area, and you have aspirations of working for one of those um, "quote unquote" homegrown uh, corporations that has international reach. What better way than to have your your school have this international orientation, where you can get actual hands-on? And we'll talk a little bit about there. There's some real, actual international exposure. I mean, oh, there are yeah. trips abroad, and, and yeah, you bet. But let, let me um, just add: we, we've we've got a. a faculty member from the Goizueta School of Business at Emory on our board. Um, I've got lunch uh, in a couple of weeks with some people from Georgia Tech to get Georgia Tech on our board as well. I mean, so that while we're part of Georgia State, we are actively collaborating and working with um, Emory University and Georgia Tech. And for your listeners who aren't from Atlanta, both of those are located here in Atlanta. Um also, you have um, a, a relationship with the uh, United States uh, Global Leadership Coalition. Um, I, I went to a luncheon uh, recently that uh, 
uh, had uh, as its keynote uh, speaker, along with a couple of other uh, uh, folks who addressed uh, international business and international relations, uh, Senator Johnny Isaacson, mm-hmm. uh, who uh, it was almost a, a sub-theme. Um, when he touched on, in fact, he, he, he must have identified six different uh, regions of the world where uh, there was military intervention, but there was nation building going on. Right. And uh, I thought that that was a fascinating overview of some things, uh, in many cases from his hands-on exposure uh, to, to those kinds of programs. And uh, so... It, it makes perfect sense that you would have uh, uh, some partnership with the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition. Um, and Oh, you bet. And, and, and Senator Isaacson has been a great supporter of, of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta. He's going to speak. I'm, I'm, this is where I, the self-serving, self-promoting advertisement for the World Affairs Council. We, every year, uh, do a conference on global health issues. Last year, the focus was on Africa. This year it's on Latin America. They'd already planned that before I got there. I'm not going to take credit for that. Um, and uh, it's we put it on together with CARE, which has its headquarters in Atlanta, and with the Center for Strategic and International Studies from Washington, D.C. Um, and Senator Isaacson's going to speak. It's June 1 here in Atlanta, and we've got some great speakers coming to talk about health issues in Latin America and Atlanta as a cluster, a center for health care, not just in Atlanta, but globally, thanks to CARE, CDC, Emory University, um, a huge number of insurance companies, health insurance companies that are that are focused here. But also in Atlanta, there's, there's a large health informatics industry. And so we're trying to bring all that together and for a day focus on Latin America. Now, is this a... Uh, it's open to the public and it's free. World Affairs Council-sponsored, yeah. uh, hosted bet. event, and it's on June 1st. I might remind folks that they can go to uh, www.worldaffairscouncil. And does it include of Atlanta in yeah. that? No, it, it, it's WAC Atlanta is our... WACAtlanta.com yeah. or .org. WACATL.org. Okay. But if you Google World Affairs Council of Atlanta, you'll find us. We'll we'll come up. Don't worry. It's easy. We're going to be taking a break, Ambassador Shapiro, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about uh, that broad brush overview of what the World Affairs Council does, and then we'll drill down a little bit into some of the programs. We're here with Ambassador Charles Shapiro, who is also president of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta. We'll be back with Ambassador Shapiro right after this break. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website 
located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on americaswebradio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime you like. This is americaswebradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Ambassador Charles Shapiro, who's also the president of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta. And by the way, it is former ambassador uh, with the um, uh, major assignment, uh, having been as ambassador to Venezuela. Is that right? Yeah, that's uh, actually. I I would say I had better assignments back in Washington as a principal deputy assistant secretary, but that doesn't mean anything to anybody. So ambassador is the title because you're confirmed by the Senate. You get to use it for your life, just like a former judge or a former a retired colonel in the Army. Um, and I work for it. So I'm very proud of having been an ambassador and having represented the United States of America abroad. Well, you know, we're going to have you demystify the process for becoming an ambassador and and share with us some of your experiences in in foreign service. Um, But I would like to go back and offer to listeners this, this overview of the the scope of what the World Affairs Council of Atlanta does, and and by virtue of that description, I think they'll have a better idea of what some other world councils might do. Even though, as you pointed out early in the program, you know, uh, d- different world councils have different orientations. Uh, the one here in Atlanta has a strong business orientation, right. and uh, uh, you know, quite fortunately for the World Affairs Council, there are uh, a uh, there's a critical mass of international companies, um, some of whom are headquartered here in Atlanta, uh, to help, uh, if you will, fuel uh, the work of, of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. Look, that, that that's what we are trying to do at the World Affairs. Frankly, all the World Affairs Councils are, but my focus is Atlanta. And what we want to do is bring the world to Atlanta and Atlanta to the world. We want to be a catalyst, part of that transformation of Atlanta from being a very important city in the southeast of the United States to being a global city, to being a city that people around the world know about Atlanta, want to go to Atlanta, and where businesses like, I'm, I'm going to talk about home, the, the businesses here that are not homegrown businesses, right? So UPS, um, Newell Rubbermaid, uh, Mercedes-Benz North America, which has just made the decision to move Atlanta, where they find a place where they can come and their executives feel comfortable, where there's an international environment, where their executives, no matter what country they are from, 
feel comfortable where they can get their kids educated, where there's people from their country, where there's restaurants with the food that they love, and where they can hire, recruit people who who want to take that job in Singapore, who want to go to Mumbai, right? And that's, that's what we want to be part of here in Atlanta. I want Atlanta to stop saying we're the, the best, the biggest, the this, the that of the South and just say we're Atlanta. We are Atlanta. You know, a lot of people... Um equate this uh, cosmopolitan nature uh, of Atlanta with uh, the fact that we we have the world's busiest airport, uh, arguably uh, the world's uh, busiest passenger um, traffic. Um, and, you know, those folks are not always stopping here, or, or they're, they're, may, they're maybe flying through Atlanta. They're not, they're not stopping here. They're not necessarily... Uh, 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 coming in in numbers that are are creating uh, the foreign cultures just by virtue of having this busy airport Atlanta has to work toward being truly having a cosmopolitan environment with any depth and oh, absolutely. And, and I consider what the World Affairs Council does uh, as uh, promoting uh, that depth you mentioned a company like Mercedes-Benz they absolutely are an international company, and in their international headquarters in Germany, they are uh, accustomed to a cosmopolitan fabric of the company, and they want to have that some of that same fabric, even as they have the other uh, quality of life that Atlanta is able to provide. I mean, they cited the, the cost of living sure, here of versus the cost of living. But you also north. want yeah. people to be comfortable, feel at home want to live here, want to bring their children here. I mean, if you're, if you're a big company, you don't want somebody turning down a job because I don't want to go live there. No, I don't, I don't want to live Lon- leave London to go to Atlanta, right? I don't want to leave, you know, you fill in the blank to go to Atlanta. And that's what you, or that's what you want to do. You want to be able to create the environment that is welcoming, that is hospitable. That's easy for Atlantans, but which also is international. Um, which is able to go beyond stereotypes, which thinks internationally, and that's what that's what we want. What we, the World Affairs Council, are part of. The um, the World Affairs Council uh, sponsors uh, a variety of programs. There is one upcoming program uh, that is entitled uh, National Security, American Leadership in an Age of Fear. Uh, and also there is the seventh annual Young Leaders Conference, uh, w- w- both of which I want to have you share a little bit of information about. Uh, let's start with national uh, national insecurity. insecurity. Yeah. And I, 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 I just I happen have, to have the book right here. I have to apologize. National insecurity. Uh, David Rothkopf's uh, book. Uh, and uh, there's no question we've entered into a, a period of uh, n- feelings of insecurity related uh, to uh, the nation and the world. So tell us about that uh, that upcoming uh, program. Yeah, this, this is going to be next Thursday, February 19th at the Carter Library. It's free. Um, there, there's no price better than free. So uh, it's going to be terrific. David Rothkopf is the CEO and editor of Foreign Policy Magazine. Um 
he's one of these guys who I admire, uh, who can take events around the world, what's happening in, in India, what's happening in Nigeria, what's happening in Ukraine, and what's happening with world oil prices, and tie them all together and make sense out of it. He, I mean, he's the most important, most interesting guy that you, your listeners probably have never heard of. Um, which is why I've been promoting it so hard. And you ought to come. You you can pay $7,000 and go to Davos and hear him speak on a panel, or you can go to the Carter Library next Thursday night for free and hear him speak. He's going to talk about his new book, National Insecurity. And the focus of the book is, are we capable, our foreign policy structure, national security structure, are we capable of dealing with new issues, new ideas, new challenges. Uh, And it's fascinating because his take is that Washington is a conservative city, not conservative politically, but conservative in terms of thinking. That is where creativity is, not only is it not rewarded, where it's punished. Politically, because of the way our system works. And so that if you know a, a five years ago, ten years ago, nobody thought about cyber terrorism, right? Including the people who are paid to think about that. Nobody foresaw ISIS, including the people who are paid to think about that, and the people who are pontificating like I am on radio and TV. I mean, so his idea is his question is how do we organize ourselves? How do we organize our nation? Um, how do we put together a national security structure that is is capable of looking at the future instead of the past and and working how to respond to that in a way that furthers the interests of the United States? And, it, and it's not just Washington, uh, D.C., and uh, a lot of the political mechanisms and administrations that are guilty of uh, n- not uh, being uh, innovative enough. And uh, it's corporations as well. Oftentimes, the, you know, some corporations are better at innovation than others, which have latched onto a, a, a corporate culture of uh, goods and services that they've done um, uh, well with for a hundred years, and they're going to continue to do it. Uh, th- we have to or not or not, yes, uh, because they're going to get hacked. And uh, uh, so, I do think we uh, could benefit from the Department of uh, Innovative Security. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be great. Y'all, y'all, sh- y'all come as we say in Atlanta. Yeah, I, I, I think it, it, it would be a. a, a this, this is going to be terrific. The second uh, event that you talked about is on February 28th. It's a Saturday, and it's during the day. Our young leaders, these are people under 40 or part of the World Affairs Council, and they've organized this themselves, put it all together, got it uh, together. And it is uh, Creating Global Cities, a vision for Atlanta. So it ties right back into what we were talking about. And they've got a tremendous uh, schedule of speakers who are going to talk about What's the vision for Atlanta? Where's it going in the future? How do we create a global city here in Atlanta? I think that's great. It's going to be terrific, um, and I invite everybody to come. Now, this one is, is not free. I'm Please register and, 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 and come on down. It's going to be at the Commerce Club 
uh, on Saturday, February 28th. I know the um, Leadership Atlanta organization had as one of the topics uh, at a recent, uh, their collab, uh, collaborative uh, conference last year, um, one of the topics was how do you attract talent uh, to Atlanta. And, and it's something that every um, major uh, metropolitan center wants to do is to attract young, vibrant uh, uh, professionals. You put your and, finger right and, on and it. And I always thought that we needed to drill down further. So this is That's great. what, I, I, what I, we're doing, I'm, what you're so, doing. So, so here's where I'm going to – and you're going to come, okay, um, February 28th, Saturday. You and, you and your wife come. Hold that thought because we're going to take a break. And when we come back, um, share that thought with us. Okay. Um, we're here with Ambassador Charles Shapiro, President of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta. Uh, we'll be back with Ambassador Shapiro right after this break. This is Tracy Pearson with Prissy Tomboy. Listen to the Prissy Tomboy radio show every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time as I interview special guests that will inspire adventure and fitness for females. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Have you tuned into the Master Gardener Hour lately? We have a brand new look. Come and join me, the new host, Kate Copsey, every Saturday at 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. And today we're talking about nation uh, building bridges between nations and, and, and uh, global uh, r- relationships and the promotion of business and the world becoming a smaller place because of communication and the work of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta, um, where Charles Shapiro, uh, my guest, is the president. And before the break, we were talking about a couple of different programs, one of them being the National Insecurity American Leadership in in the Age of Fear conference that's coming up uh, on February 19th, and then on February 28th, the 7th Annual Young Leaders uh, Conference, which is a conference that uh, will go a long way to having young professionals uh, creating some sort of synergy that in hopefully will will, will attract like-minded, um, creative thinking, talented, resourceful uh, young professionals to Atlanta. And then you had a thought 
right before our break. <laughs> I had a thought, <laughs> which is unusual this early in the morning. <laughs> Listen, here it just it just strikes me. Um, national NCR no longer goes to the National Cash Register. It's, it's out in one of the Atlanta suburbs, and they're moving a large part of their operation into to midtown Atlanta, and they're doing it to be near Georgia Tech, to be near young people, young, innovative people. And what if, if we've learned anything over the last 15, 20 years, it's that innovation counts, and we're in a new world of innovation. Uh, statistically speaking, something I, I saw online, something like 90% of innovation worldwide comes from cities. comes from cities. And a huge part of that innovation comes from a handful of cities. And you want every city in the U.S. and I assume around the world is trying to be part of that. Um, it's not just about competing to have lower property taxes for businesses to open a factory because there are not going to be that many factories opening. What we're looking for is people who are creative, who are coming up with ideas and, and new computer programs and apps and um, IT that you and I, can't, being our age, can, can't even conceive. And that's why you want those young people. And they want to live in cities. Um, and they want to live near each other. Um, and that, that being together and talking together um, creates a synergy which just throws off you know, sparks of innovation. And that's what cities are, are, are anxious to capture. Maybe even entropy. Uh, the, uh, the young professionals um, also help us uh, to be better in touch with even younger, uh, not yet professional uh 20-somethings and uh, teens, um, which is all part of the kind of continuity we need for uh, innovative thinking. And I had mentioned uh, a a moment ago that corporations oftentimes were guilty of not being very innovative. And uh, there's at least one major uh, corporation uh, here in Atlanta, a uh, well-known Fortune 100 company, where I try to uh, get them to create an a, uh, internal project that would have at the time been entitled the Innovation Project. And I think it was just a little ahead of its time, unfortunately, and the one individual uh, that was to uh, spearhead the program was a uh, uh, a, a senior level brand manager uh, who was a young fellow, uh, very well liked and highly respected uh, for his success. Um, and uh, he left the company, and there wasn't really someone to shepherd it internally. I was an external consultant, mm-hmm. and and a lot of people liked the idea, but uh, I don't think they quite got it and, and w- weren't quite able to run with it. Now, of course, they have a chief innovation officer, and they, they get it now. Um, at the time, if I only wanted, they'd listen to you. Well, I, and at the time, I was wanting them to look at every single thing the company did uh, in a different way, and, you know, from worldwide distribution to syrup mix and everything in between. You know, what they do media-wise, and now they're starting to do that. But don't, don't, but don't you think, Ron? That's one reason why so much innovation comes from startups, and that's why people are cities and states and, and, and national governments are doing everything they can to foster startups because they are, by definition, highly innovative. And that's why bigger companies buy those startups um, is because the, the innovation comes from outside, not from inside. Large corporations are folk focused on their shareholders. That's who owns the company, and they're trying to get the results for their shareholders. You've got these... Uh, 
startups, most of which fail, right, but that are throwing off new ideas. And so the large companies, whether it's Microsoft or, or, or Apple or you name it, um, you know, Amazon and Facebook are busy buying up younger, newer startups and taking those ideas and incorporating them uh, um, across their corporations. And, and in fact, uh, there's at least uh, one homegrown um, um, uh, large corporation. Uh, I can be specific here because it it, it fits into the story, but the Coca-Cola company um, has looked at uh, the acquisition acquisition of these uh, small um, startups uh, that show promise and are letting them operate independently that address a, a, a wide range of what it is the company does from packaging to uh, digital communications, uh, you know, information technology. And one such company, if I'm not mistaken, uh, that was located in uh, San Francisco as part of one of those executive office uh, setups uh, had its own little Coca-Cola company with the Coca-Cola uh, uh, Spencerian script etched on the little piece of glass, but it was part of this larger, what was almost an incubator uh, uh, of uh, startup companies, and so I think that is symbolic of, of this approach that we that needs to be fostered. And 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 back to this uh, young uh, leaders conference, it is one way that the World Affairs Council is making its contribution to supporting. Uh, innovative thinking, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, I would encourage your listeners in, in Atlanta, if they haven't done so, to go to Atlanta Tech Village. I mean, it is just extraordinary. And if you haven't been there, you need to go by. It's right in Buckhead. Um, and it is just tremendous with companies coming in because they're in this companies. These are startups. These are individuals uh, who've got a handful of employees who, who, who rent it's one of these places where you can get office space by by the day or the week or the month, and they actually encourage them to leave when they get up to six employees. They throw them out, um, and it is an extraordinary thing to see. And that's what we want to encourage, and that as a city, that's what we want to encourage as a nation. And I and I can tell you, countries all over the world are trying to do exactly the same thing. We, we've made some initial contact uh, there, and. Uh, we should follow up on it to get those folks on this very program because I, I agree with you. They're doing exactly what needs to be done day in and day out as opposed to uh, just uh, a, a singular uh, event or, or program. Now, let's switch to uh, travel programs because yeah, I mentioned uh, that uh, the World Affairs Council actually has people uh going abroad and you have a travel program uh there is a trip in fact and i do want to talk because it's one of the elephants in the room whenever you're talking about international relations and trade today uh cuba is 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 got to be one of the elephants in the room and uh on april 19th through the 26th you have a cuba travel delegation Tell us about that. Yeah, I'm, I'm leading a group to Cuba on April 19th to 26th. Um, should be tremendous. It's uh, a Saturday to Sunday trip. So it's eight days, the following Sunday. Um, and it is, we've got the license so we can travel. We've got everything set up. We've got an, uh, an, an agenda program that is just extraordinary to meet with people from, you name it, from all sides of Cuban 
culture and life with the Catholic Church, with independent entrepreneurs, with the Cuban Foreign Ministry, with the U.S. Interest Section, our diplomatic mission there, with third country diplomats, with reporters there, with uh, Cuban economists. Imagine being an economist in Cuba, an economy that doesn't work. Um, with a, a, a dance theater, with artists, with art galleries. We're going to go to the south coast to uh, two cities. One is Cienfuegos, which is a beautiful provincial capital, and then go to uh, this little town called Trinidad, uh, not the country, a city in Cuba, that is a beautiful colonial town which went into decline when slavery was abolished in Cuba. Right, so a lot of these buildings are preserved and they're fabulous. So it's a it's a great trip. We're going to go back. I th- we're looking at dates, but I think we'll take a second shorter trip. It'll only be five days in late June, early July. Uh, we hope to put it up on our website shortly. And there's a huge interest in Cuba uh, in the United States, in part because you couldn't just travel there, and people don't know it and want. There's this itch that people want to scratch. Uh, by getting to know Cuba. And there's also this idea that that there's business opportunity in Cuba. Tell us a little bit about how this uh, trip came together because it's it's the kind of thing, or at least variations, on a trip uh, to Cuba that a lot of organizations would like to uh, either be a part of or organize on, on their own or other world. No, no, they should, they should do it through us. Well, well they should. They should. And, <laughs> in fact, I would dare say that other world affairs councils are going to go to school on on what you are are doing, what you, what you and and the trip itself, what you're about to do. But do you have people on staff that uh, have been working with folks uh, in Cuba, and yeah, which are by the way, are you are because you I I started to say because you are fluent in Spanish, uh, you would be an ideal person to be talking to folks in Cuba, and I would imagine it's it's just been tremendously helpful to be able to speak the language well it, it i mean yes being able to speak spanish is great and i'm I, I, I love spanish and i love latin america but uh part of my career in state department i was the director of the office of cuban affairs and so i've been dealing with cuba since 1999 in the in the clinton administration and, and so you had relationships there even with oh people. yeah 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 and so uh, i took two trips to cuba in my last job at the Institute of the Americas at University of California, San Diego. Um, and so now I'm going back again. And the people whom I knew in Cuba um, from 15 years ago obviously are still there and have more important positions, some of them. Um, and so we will meet with them. I've got a guy who is a graduate of the University of California, San Diego. See the connection there of their Graduate School of uh, International Relations and Pacific Studies, um, who is ac- actually does the logistics of setting up the meetings, um, getting juggling it around, getting the buzz. Sure, there, know, there, get, there, get, there, get, there are some real logistics get, get there. Getting the hotel rooms. I mean, right now you can't make a reservation at a hotel in Cuba if you're calling from the United States. You, you know, um, Charles, a lot of people have questioned, you know, the wisdom of of our uh, launching into improved relations with Cuba. But you recently wrote an article entitled uh, Cuba, Obama Hit the Ball Out of the Park. 
And in, in that article which appeared in the Huffington Post, um, you pointed out something that, that I thought was missing in a lot of uh, the, the, the overviews of the pros and cons. And, and essentially, y- y- you point out that the kind of embargoes and the, the, the current r- relationship was something uh, better suited for the Cuba of old, a Cuba which was importing, uh, uh, courting uh, the Soviet Union and uh, potentially being the site of missiles. At that time, it was well, probably... Potentially, it was the site of missiles. Come right. On. Well, no, potentially the, the site of World War III. Yeah. Uh, or the, 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 the focus or the, the, um, the launch pad for World War III. Um, but that today... Uh, that kind of cold shoulder is, 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 is more appropriate for the North Koreas, uh, of the world, uh, as opposed to, to Cuba. And so that the, the upside is, is, is distinctly greater. Yeah. Listen, the embargo is a rel, uh, the U.S. embargo on Cuba is a relic of the Cold War. The Cold War has been over for a while. Um, Cuba is not supporting terrorism around the world. Cuba is not exporting weapons to terrorist organizations around the world. Che Guevara is not in the mountains of Bolivia encouraging revolution. I don't like that. Um, And that was something we rightly opposed. There's a this idea in the United States, in part that comes from our own hubris, that we think that having relations with a country is a gift to be bestowed. My view is quite different, is that with countries that you don't agree with, and there's an awful lot with the government of Cuba that we do not agree about, that's when you want to have relations. You want to be able to talk to them. I mean, think how important it was that we had an ambassador in Moscow and the Soviets had an ambassador in the United States during the Cuban Missile Crisis. We had no greater enemy in the world, strategic enemy, than the Soviet Union, but we had an ambassador there and they had an ambassador in Washington. We ought to have an ambassador in Havana, and they ought to have an ambassador in Washington so that our governments can talk to each other directly, clearly, and we understand that the person we're talking to represents the government of the other country. Absolutely. We have an ambassador in Moscow now. We have full relations with Russia. We have full relations with China. Why in the world don't we have relations with with? Cuba. Certainly a war of words and embargoes is much better than a war of violent military intervention. So it's important to have those bridges to those countries that we don't see eye to eye with. We're going to be taking a break. When we come back, yeah. we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the work of the World Affairs Council. We're here with Ambassador Charles Shapiro. We'll be back to talk about uh, global relationships right after this break. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, 
taking the appropriate action, from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Ambassador Charles Shapiro, who is president of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta currently. And I want to ask you about the earliest stages. Um, when did a young Charles Shapiro uh, think that you could have a future in anything that was international-related, much less when was it that a career in foreign service emerged as a potential path for you? That's a great question, and, and, and I'm going to disappoint you by telling you a lot of it was serendipity. Um, just pure, absolute luck. I, Which is true for a lot of us. You know, serendipity has led us to our, our, our down our career yeah. paths. But go ahead. And yeah, I mean, that. listen, I've since, I mean, I can't tell you why. Since I was a kid, I've been interested in, in international relations, foreign affairs, what's going on in countries around the world. You know, I was probably the, before there was a term geek, I was a geek reading Time magazine every week cover to cover. And I loved the world section that told you what was going on in this, that, and the other country. I was in Atlanta. I was teaching high school. And a friend of mine, this is before there was an Internet, uh, was going downtown to the government printing office to get an application to apply for the Foreign Service and asked me if I wanted him to get me one. And I said, well, Foreign Service, what's that? And he brought me the application. We applied, took the test. And, you know, here I am 40 years later. Where did you study in college? Uh, what or where? What? I, I studied American history, American history at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia. You see, to me, that would seem to be a great uh, subject matter for uh, any of our ambassadors, at least a, a minor in American history. I've got to tell you this, the, the, and, and tell your listeners, I mean, if you've got a young person or a middle-aged person who's interested in foreign affairs or even an old person under 55, apply to join the Foreign Service. There's no prerequisite except that, you, that you're an American citizen. You don't even have to be a college grad. You have to pass the test. Go to www.state.gov. It's the website for the Department of State, and there's a tab up there on that homepage that says Employment at State Department. Click on that, and it'll lead you right to it. Um, I mean, there's a process. Uh, it's complicated and takes a while. Um, but it's I, I've had a terrific life and a terrific career. So give us some of the highlights as part of that evolution because uh, it wasn't uh, soon after you um, – were accepted to be a part of the uh, foreign service that they made you the ambassador to Venezuela. I took uh, a while. It, tell <laughs> us uh, about a couple of key assignments on the way to that position. I, I'll tell you, the, my very first assignment at State Department is I worked in the press office, and then I was the staff assistant to the State Department spokesman, the guy that gives the press briefings every day. Um, and it was like getting a graduate course in international relations. It was fabulous. I got a, then my first foreign assignment was in Copenhagen, lovely place. And then just by luck, I got assigned to, back in Washington to work on Latin America and fell in love with it. 
I served in El Salvador during the war there. Um, I've served in Trinidad and Tobago, in the Caribbean, Chile and South America, a country that is um, making huge, huge strides and will be the first developed country in Latin America. First country in Latin America to be a member of the developed world is going to be Chile. Um, and not it, Colombia, as some people might expect, and not Brazil. Um, Chile. And not Argentina, but Chile. 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 Um, and then I, my last foreign assignment was in Venezuela, um, which is a country that's going through a huge, was then and still is going through a huge crisis. Um, that I can tell you more about it than you want to know. I'll just tell you it was fascinating. Hugo Chavez was president while I was there. He was president for 15 years. So there are a whole bunch of U.S. ambassadors who were in Venezuela while Chavez was president. Um, and he was a guy who was fortunate enough to be president of a country that has the world's largest reserves of oil and unfortunate enough to uh, propose and implement an economic policy that was sure to bring his country to ruin as it has. You know, I asked you, and uh, before you shared a little bit of that perspective on uh, this country, which was... um, um, going down the path uh, essentially to ruin. Uh, whether it was like waking up at Disneyland, I was, I was, I was n- not thinking about uh, the uh, full range of uh, experience uh, that an, an American, uh, a senior level American representative, uh, would 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 have. And I asked you if it was like Disneyland, much like when I uh, studied at the American University in Italy and I would wake up and I thought, wow, I'm in Disneyland. And you corrected me because you were not waking up in Disneyland when you were in Venezuela. It was, there were, there were and there are people who hate America. And there are people who love America. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it it is an extraordinarily polarized country in a way that we cannot understand. It makes our division between Republicans and Democrats look like child's play. So, Go ahead. So the people who supported Chavez and and were supporters of the government, I got to tell you, didn't much care for me. It didn't care for the United States, didn't care for capitalism, and didn't care a whole lot for democracy. There's a bunch of people in the opposition. I mean, and they're almost evenly divided. Um, who liked the United States, some of whom like an image of the United States which doesn't correspond to the United States and kept asking me when we were going to send the Marines in to get rid of Chavez. And I kept telling them, that ain't going to happen. That is not going to happen. So you've got this really a pressure cooker. I think my name is still probably on some walls in Caracas. Um, I've got a picture at my house of... of uh, this demonstration of people carrying a banner that that says uh, uh, Fuera Shapiro, Shapiro go home, right? Um, another one that says Shapiro Asesino, that I'm an assassin. Okay, so I, I have to apologize for uh, interrupting you, but we're, we're coming into the stretch here, and I want you to take a couple of minutes, and, you know, this is uh, going to be tough, uh, but I think you have uh, some perspectives on on what we need to do more of to be better about and and uh, you know I had 
mentioned uh, winning over the hearts and minds of people like those in Venezuela whose hearts and minds could be won over, and you reminded me, no, no, you know, the new term is uh, um, soft power. You know, how do we wield soft power in a better way? And I want to ask you, in a nutshell, how do we get better at... Uh, making the world not just a smaller place but a better place through international relations. Okay, first of all, the idea that the U.S. can solve the world's problems and that we can change people's minds, I think is there's an element of truth to it, but there's also a lot that's not correct. Well, let's abstract it. Let's just say that Charles uh, Shapiro okay, is not working but, for a different but here, entity. But here, here's, what I, here's, what I would, here's what I would do, and I can't tell you how important this is. Uh, I would if there were funding there. And I think the funding, I mean, obviously in our budget there's money, but we spend it differently. Scholarships. Bring in university students and graduate students to the United States. Bringing people to the United States for study tours. Uh, people are, are not students, but who are professionals, experts in particular areas. The best sales Promotion for the United States is the people of the United States. Is to particularly have those talented, uh, resourceful. Bring them here. Uh, Listen, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in my career who said, I couldn't believe it when I got to the United States because it was so different from what I thought it was going to be like. I can't believe how friendly people in the United States are. I can't believe how open the United States is. I can't believe, yeah, you've got problems, but bringing people to the United States changes their minds, changes their minds. I would bring students and I would bring working professionals to the United States. And I dare say it changes their hearts. Oh, you bet. We're going to have to wrap up here and we'll have to have you come back for the World Affairs Hour um, uh, with Charles Shapiro. The, you know, uh, I'd love to come back. two and three. Uh, I, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the program. I, I, I think we've shed a little light on the, the good work of the World Affairs Council uh, in general, specifically the World Affairs Council of Atlanta. And it sounds like you had a uh, really uh, very rewarding uh, career in Foreign Service, and thanks for sharing it with us today. Thanks, Ron. I, I feel blessed, lucky. We've been with Ambassador Charles Shapiro, President of the World Affairs Council of Atlanta currently, and you've been listening to the Business Hour here at America's Web Radio. We're on Fridays from 10 to 11. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio next week. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.